Hello, and welcome again to another conservative historian podcast. This one entitled, Follow the Dream, Follow the Money, Explaining the New York Times Pivot. The date, July 2020. In Caroline Finkel's Osman's Dream, The Story of the Ottoman Empire, she relates an incident ascribed to the founder of the dynasty. Quote, Osman saw himself and his host reposing near each other. From the bosom of Edabali rose the full moon, and inclining toward the bosom of Osman, it sank upon it and was lost to sight. After that, a goodly tree sprang forth, which grew in beauty and in strength, ever greater and greater. Suddenly, there arose a mighty wind and turned the points of the sword leaves towards the various cities of the world, but especially towards Constantinople. That city, placed at the junction of two seas and two continents, seemed like a diamond set between two sapphires and two emeralds to form the most precious stone in a ring of universal empire. Unquote. Later, as Finkel notes, the Ottomans needed a bit more legitimacy than a dream and thus produced documents showing a grant of land. But the dream myth persisted and provided subsequent Ottoman sultans with a divine legitimacy to go with their more secular land-grant documents. Yet, what if Osman's dream had told him something else? What if the dream instructed the Ottoman Turk to resign his position as head of the tribe or to forget conquest and take up goat herding? Not only did his dream prophesize imperial glory, but a city relatively close to his current holdings in Anatolia. The dream could have told him to conquer Mecca, Egypt, Italy, or even Shia Persia. But it was Constantinople, a 1,000-year-old city that achieved great wealth by dominating the sea lanes between the Black and Mediterranean seas. That was the city mentioned in his dream. Funny how these dreams so mirror the actual desires and goals of the dreamers. Coincidence, I guess. The relation of the story is not to denigrate dreamers the world over, but rather to note that behind all propaganda, speechifying, and self-proclaimed selfless desire, one can find the real reason from almost any position if one simply follows the money. Though the Byzantine Empire was struggling after the Arab defeats in the 600s, internal strife in the 800s, and even Turkish aggression in the 1000s, and the Fourth Crusade in the 1200s, Constantinople in the 1300s was still a very wealthy city, and due to all of those aforementioned catastrophes, one that was vulnerable for the taking. Let's look at another example dealing with the Levant. When Urban II in 1085, called for a crusade to liberate the Holy Land from the Muslims, in this case not the original Arab conquerors, but rather from the Seljuk Turks. Urban made his appeal not from Rome, the traditional seat of the papacy, but from Clermont, France, where the French king Philip I struggled to maintain hegemony. It was also not just about liberating the Holy Land, given that the Byzantine emperor had first asked for help being hard-pressed by the Turks. Robert the monk, who may have been present at the Council of Clermont himself, wrote down his interpretation of urban speech. Quote, That land which, as the scripture says, floweth with milk and honey, was given by God into the possession of the children of Israel. Jerusalem is the navel of the world, 
The land is fruitful above others, like another paradise of delights. Unquote. Amidst the core of the religious push is this dichotomy about the land itself. Since pretty much no one in Western Europe, outside of Italian merchants, had been to the East, there is no way to confirm or deny this claim that it was in fact the land of milk and honey or fruitful above all others. It was one thing to get Europeans to travel to unknown lands, facing unknown foes, based on the needs of the persuasive urban and the needs of the Greek emperor. Quite another to hold out a possible fortune. In this regard, the clever urban found fertile ground for this type of message. And urban was not on the order of religious zealots, such as the later Francis of Assisi. Rather, Urban II was an educated, sophisticated pontiff who understood that religious zealotry is good, but the natural inclination of humans towards wealth was better. Urban fully understood the concept that following religious zeal is one thing, but following the money is what really will get people motivated. There is some strange head-scratching over the recent behavior of the New York Times in regard to its editorial focus. Not just running hard with the historically debunked 1619 project, but other decisions as well. David French, writing for the Dispatch in July 2020, has followed much of the travails at the New York Times, including the loud and raucous resignation of Barry Weiss. Quote, In hindsight, it seems clear that Barry's position at the Times was unsustainable. During the Civil War at the time, over at the Times, over Tom Cotton's op-ed, Barry tweeted a thread arguing that there is a generational divide at the Times between younger, woker journalists and older, more liberal leaders. Unquote. This seems like the obvious c- conclusion, but it is not the true one. It is not the monetary one, and therefore not the real reason for the Times' final metamorphosis from news organization to opinion content provider. And let's be clear, the Times, if you read their news section, seems more in some ways woke than their op-ed section. Sort of like a newspaper transition from CBS Evening News into CNN. According to the 2001 annual report issued by the New York Times company, total revenue then was around $3 billion. But 63% of that revenue was derived from advertising and classified ads. Only 23% of the revenue came from subscriptions. But nearly 20 years later, in their 2019 annual report, revenues were down to $1.8 billion. But the real change was that both print and digital subscribers, approaching nearly $6 million, or about 2% of the population of the United States in total, comprised 61% of total revenue. Quote, total revenues increased 3.6% to $1.8 billion in 2019 from $1.7 billion in 2018, primarily driven by an increase in digital subscription revenue. Unquote. Advertising was down to 27% of that total, and where subscribers continued to increase at a 4% growth rate, Ads continued to shrink, declining 5% over the previous years. Quote, advertising revenues are primarily derived from offerings sold directly to marketers by our advertising sales teams. Unquote. 
These marketers are certainly looking for readership to see their ads, but they also understand that the content in the newspaper also represented them. An advertiser may not have been too keen to place their pitch next to an article that denigrates founding fathers such as George Washington, but a subscriber, especially of that tiny 2% minority representing the time subscriber base, demands it. And hence, Tom Cotton and Barry Weiss had to go. Brett Stevens, a conservative, is only in place as long as he keeps delivering anti-Trump opinions. Should Joe Biden win the 2020 presidential election? One can count Stevens' remaining tenure at the media operation with an egg timer. This is not so much about woke staffers, as is the common narrative, but rather woke subscribers. The staffers were put in place, selected, to provide the red meat, or blue meat in this case, to that subscriber base. When the Times even attempts to go towards the middle, they will receive subscription cancellation letters and run back to the left. This is not just true at the Times, but at other outlets as well. Certain publications today are not shy about their positions. Townhall.com is unabashedly both conservative and pro-Trump. The bulwark exists as a never-Trump vehicle. It will be interesting to see what the subscription rates look like should Trump lose in the November election. The Dispatch and National Review are staffed by never-Trumpers, but the former is trading on the star power of their journalists and the slimness of its operating costs. The latter claims a history of pure conservatism that stretches all the way back to the 1960s. But in all of these cases, it is about keeping subscribers because Facebook, Google, and all of the other social media vehicles and platforms now have the advertising dollars. Why did Zuckerberg even fight to keep a semblance of open political discourse on Facebook? He is no fan of the right, employing the likes of Sheryl Sandberg as his number two. He is doing so because Facebook is subject to advertising, not subscription pressures. Again, in these decisions, follow the money. To understand what is happening in sports is the same. As the incomparable Victor Davis Hansen notes in a July article in National Review commenting on the NBA in China, quote, Some estimates suggest that the NBA's various Chinese markets reach $6 billion in profits and more. Not surprising, given 1.4 billion new potential customers, unquote. But what if doing business with a totalitarian regime that locks up a million people based on ethnicity might be a little sticky PR issue? As Hansen notes, quote, The league's domestic attendance and viewership are now flat. Its various affiliated TV audiences last year dived. TNT's NBA viewership dropped 22%, ESPN's 19%, unquote. If they alienate a big chunk of the American fan base, well, so be it. Also, as the only sports league whose African-American section of the fan base is 50%, and the league players are near 90% African-American, that should be a shield because that base should be locked in, embedded, yet... African-Americans are only 13% of the total American population. And that number has not grown appreciably in the past decade. So where is the NBA growth to come from? Quote, if the league wishes to remain politicized with a leftish message at odds with half of America, and if both the ownership 
and the players hardly wish to reflect the rich diversity of America, it can seek to find greater audience share, in fact, much greater elsewhere in China, unquote. But what about the NFL? Unlike China, there is nowhere near the popularity of American football as with basketball in China. And there is no Yao Ming-type figure to establish a link to the league, as the former Houston Rockets center did for the NBA. More so than even the NBA, football relies on TV, and not just direct revenues. There are times in which ESPN feels as as if they should be named EFPN, for Electronic Football Programming Network. And because of this reliance, they, similar to corporations like Nike, are inordinately reliant on access to athletes for promotion and content. And since the athletes lean left on issues, witness the dressing down of the once popular Drew Brees for suggesting our national anthem should be honored, ESPN has moved very left as well. And keep in mind, there is a China connection, though not as overt as with the NBA. ESPN is owned by Disney, which accrues nearly 15% of its revenue from China. It is okay to denigrate the U.S. or even to be anti-Semitic, but it is not okay to be pro-American or anti-Chinese. Follow the money. So, is this some diatribe against the accumulation of wealth? Far from it. The wonderful nature of capitalism and the reason that it has brought prosperity to billions of humans much more so than any other system conceived, is that it channels the natural inclination of the accumulation of wealth in a way that benefits all. The reason socialism and its evil cousin communism fails so spectacularly is that by dismissing the natural desire of humankind, it warps the impulse into domination and subjugation. If one commanded that all humans are now forbidden from any sexual encounters, the results would be horrendous and twisted. It is the same with trying to eliminate the natural inclination of humans to acquire possessions and wealth. The purpose of this piece is to pull the cover off organizations who morally preen about their woke values, but really are driven by the profit motive as much as any other organization claiming that they exist logically to earn a profit. There is a rank dishonesty to these organizations, not just in the lies but about their motivations, but also in their morality. It is not enough to be seen morally preening, but they feel compelled to impose their values on others. But this imposition also masks another real profit motive. It is not enough that the Times would publish garbage history such as the 1619 Project. After all, it is profitable for them to do so because it stimulates their subscriber base. But the 1619 Project did not end there. Under the twin claims of helping African-American students, it does not, and educating unwoke white children, the time seeks to impose this on unsuspecting school children across the country and their tax-paying parents. But pushing this into school districts is a cost. And that cost is borne by tax-paying parents, but that money is paid to the Times, which is the sponsor of the 1619 Project. Therefore, a 1619 Project not only stimulates that subscriber base, but it creates a second revenue channel for the Times. And if you think the 1619 Project curricula is going to end there, it won't. The Times lost their advertising revenue. 
they lost their classified ads revenue, they are going to be seeking new revenue opportunities. But instead of an honest, above-board seeking of that, they're going to couch and cloud and build opacity by saying that what they are doing is providing a moral good when they are just as much after the profit motive as, let's say, Philip Morris selling their cigarettes. Editors at the Times today would condemn the 14th century Catholic Church practice of selling indulgences, but that is exactly what they are doing. What they are doing is, is that instead of a priest, a 15th century priest, selling indulgences so that somebody can get into heaven and be absolved of their sins more early, the 1619 Project absolves white school districts of their supposed sins as well. Buy this program and you will be better. In other words, we're going to absolve all of your sins for a fee. Now, chasing a profit motive is healthy for society and it is actually moral. But using slavery and racial inequities to make school districts pay is shameful. But the Times is following the money. Thank you.